Hello, everybody. Welcome to the third edition of the This Week in Norman podcast, powered by the Norman Transcript. I am Jesse Crittenden. And I'm Emma Keith. We're reporters for the Transcript. Hope you guys had a good week this last week, and uh, we look forward to what's coming up this next week. Emma, how was your how was your week this last week? You know, it was pretty good, Jesse. Um, we're recording this on Saturday, so I'm looking forward to some nice rest over Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, at least for you, I still have to work on uh, <laughs> on Memorial Day, but uh, I hope you have a good good Memorial Day. Lots lots of rest. Pour one out for Jesse, folks. <laughs> Hey, we we extend that uh, we extend that to all of you listeners out there. We hope you guys have a good weekend, a good Memorial Day uh, weekend as well. Uh, we know it's been a, a tough couple of months for everybody out there with this pandemic. So I think everybody kind of uh, you know deserves a nice a nice break from everything this week. Yeah, definitely. Gotcha. Well, Jesse, should we dive into it? Yes, yes, we should. Let's let's look at uh, let's look at a couple of things that happened this last week, and just like. Uh, for you know a lot of this quarantine and pandemic so far this last week was a a little hectic in Norman. It really was one of the more hectic things that happened uh, so we'll start with a little bit of city news on Monday evening the Black Wall Street Times uh, published this story that surfaced these emails um, and, and in these emails which were internal Norman Police Department emails uh, this officer you know Officers were talking about Norman's mask policy, how they now have to wear masks on the job, how the masks can slip and not fit so well sometimes. And an officer named Jacob McDonough um, at one point responded in an email with a little screen grab of uh, an excerpt from Django Unchained. And it was a, an excerpt from you know, the movie's version of a, a KKK rally. Um, where these men in white hoods are complaining about the fit of their hoods. Um, And this email chain happened earlier in May. This email was sent May 5th. Um, But the Black Wall Street Times surfaced these emails showing that, you know, Officer McDonough sent this Django Unchained excerpt. His, His supervisors pretty immediately shut down the thread, said, that is more than inappropriate uh, that you made that reference in this context. Um, So again, this publication surfaced these emails Monday night. The mayor responded. The police department held a press conference the next day. Um, Midway through the week, the ACLU and the NAACP in Oklahoma had both called for independent investigations into the Norman PD and this officer specifically. Um, During a press conference on Tuesday, Chief Kevin Foster said, you know, I acted as quickly as I could. Within 40 minutes, I had called for an internal affairs investigation. Um, And he said at that point on Tuesday, Officer McDonough was still on the force, was still active, um, but they were still investigating him. So on Friday, the uh, Norman Citizens Advisory Board, which kind of oversees uh, the Norman PD in some capacity, they, they get to review internal investigations and make suggestions on how things should be handled sometimes. Uh, but the Citizens Advisory Board reviewed the Norman PD's investigation of Officer McDonough, found that basically the Norman PD had followed policy, had done so very quickly, um, they did ask, you know, they said we would have liked it better if the Norman PD had 
told the public this investigation was happening instead of waiting for the Black Wall Street Times to bring it up in the press. Um, but the Norman PD says, you know, according to them, they couldn't have done that because they were just supposed to talk about the investigation internally and confidentially with the officer involved. Um, so the Citizens Advisory Board basically said the right thing was done, but we're still looking forward to seeing what disciplinary action is taken in this case. Um, they recommended that Officer McDonough maybe be placed on probation, maybe uh, have to attend some, some sensitivity trainings, go to some local community groups. Um, so we have yet to see what disciplinary action is going to come out of this. Chief Foster didn't say anything uh, definitive on Tuesday. And as of Friday, the Norman PD said the investigation has entered the disciplinary phase, but um, they didn't give any more information. So that'll definitely be something to watch going forward is what's going to happen to this officer who shared this Django Unchained image. Uh, I think what they're diving into is kind of, uh, has he done anything like this in the past? You know, what's his arrest record like? How does he interact with uh, minority communities in Norman? Gotcha. And yeah, that's uh, obviously a good information right there. This is, and again, this is kind of the second straight week we've had of kind of a controversial event involving, you know, a local police officer. Right. Just like, just like uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the uh, the Lexington police officer incident uh, where he made the, the comment on Facebook uh, inferring that Mayor Clark needed to be hung uh, in a public setting. Um, so, you know, I don't want to ask you to speculate um, too much, obviously, but I mean, just from the press conferences you've attended this week and, and everything you've seen, I mean, do you expect much in the area of, of disciplinary action for this police officer? You know, Jesse, I'm really not sure. Um what Chief Foster said on Tuesday was that this officer, Officer McDonough, you know, after he sent this email and after his supervisors responded and shut it down, he responded in an apology email. Um, and what Chief Foster said was that he doesn't think that Officer McDonough meant anything racist. He thinks he was just trying to comment on the fit of the masks that Norman police officers are having to wear. So I'm not sure what internal affairs will turn up, but that was the opinion that the police chief expressed. And it'll be interesting to see if they take any action and if they do, how severe that might be. I was telling someone the other day, I've been in Norman for a few years, but I don't remember seeing the Norman PD handle an internal incident like this, uh, this publicly. So I feel like there's not a lot of recent precedent to go off of and Obviously, Chief Foster is, is pretty new to the police department in that chief capacity. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what decision they make, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. No, absolutely. And, and I just have one quick thing to add on that. I think, again, this kind of highlights just the general tension and anxiety um, that a lot of people have during this pandemic. And I think a lot of people have naturally kind of looked at to see how local police departments and police officers are, are handling their responsibilities during this. It's just like with the Lexington police officer incident, it seems like, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that if somebody else, not a police officer had said it, maybe, you know, obviously that would be frowned upon, but it probably wouldn't have gotten quite the reaction um, that it did because it was a police officer. So I think, again, this kind of highlights, you know, police officers, you know, kind of by default kind of play a big part in a community when it comes to things like this. So their, their actions, their things are maybe a little more scrutinized than, 
than it would be if the general public had done it. Right. And that's what the ACLU said the other day in their statement calling for an independent investigation. They said, you know, we think this is especially important because this guy's a police officer, because of the history of police abuse in our country and in our state. Um, and because of Norman's own past, um, just, I mean, up until 2017, we had a street named for uh, a leader in the KKK. Uh, they mentioned that, you know, Norman used to be a sundown town. And so taking all those things together in context, I think is why people have seen this incident as important and, and something that we need to have our eyes on. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and like you said, it'll be interesting to see how uh, the Norman Police Department uh, handles, you know, finishing this investigation, because I think they've got to know this is, I mean, this pandemic obviously isn't going to end tomorrow. There's still going to be concerns, even as things open up. And, you know, they've got to kind of set, you know, standards and precedents of how they expect their, their officers to act, especially in times of crises right. that we've been experiencing. Absolutely. But to uh, move on a little bit from that, Emma, it looks like uh, OU has kind of been releasing some of their, some details of their plans um, for next fall kind of bit by bit. But this week it seems like we got kind of our first piece of real concrete information. Can you tell us just a little bit about, you know, what, what was the announcement from OU this week? Right. So on our, <laughs> on our last podcast, we talked about um, OU's phased reopening plan. You know, they, had, they were just about to move into their first phase of reopening, which was bringing researchers and some um, organizational staff back onto campus. They have not announced what the second phase of that campus reopening looks like, but last week they did introduce the safe and resilient plan which is gonna guide what academics look like in the fall. So last week, OU said um, they are officially moving classes with more than 40 students online. So OU, you know, as a, as a large flagship public university, entry level and, and gen ed classes can get pretty big. We're talking 200 plus, um, you know, 270 in some entry level courses. Obviously, that's, that's quite a lot of people on a good day, um, and especially in a global pandemic. So they're just taking the risk out of that entirely and saying any of those classes move online. But another thing they're doing in that space is creating some smaller in-person sections for some of those big classes. So we have yet to see ex exactly what that looks like, but it does sound like they're trying to preserve the in-person component of some of this education as much as they can. You know, they know that people don't usually go to OU just to take online classes. It's about the in-person experience too. So I think they're trying to preserve that. Um, they've also made some changes to class schedules as part of this safe and resilient plan. So in a normal school year, you would have 10 minutes between your classes. You know, you're your class ends at 9.50 and your next one starts at 10. Um, but this fall, they're gonna be spacing classes out by 30 minutes instead. So they kind of have sent out some examples of what those new class schedule blocks might look like. But the idea is you don't have as many people passing each other on campus at the same time. Um, you're just giving people more physical space to get around. In the same vein, they're also putting some classes that are meeting in person into bigger spaces. So they want their classrooms to be only at about 50 to 75% capacity. 
So throughout May, um, and they, they should be done with this fairly soon, I believe, but throughout May, they're, they're spacing out their classrooms, they're moving smaller classes to bigger classrooms, just trying to put as much physical distance between students and instructors as they can. They've also announced this new plan called Clean and Green that's going to take care of the actual sanitizing of campus. So this involves installing um, electrostatic uh, cleaners across campus, lots of hand sanitizer stations, putting in new bathroom features that are touch-free, and basically just super regular building cleaning, whether it's in a classroom or in dorm. So we, you know, we're getting small new details about this every day, but those are some of the basics of OU's safe and resilient instruction plan. Uh, it will be interesting to see how they kind of start moving and migrating some of these classes online because, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of professors who have not experienced having to teach a class of, with so many students in an online setting before. Um, and that's, that's a major adjustment to make. So it'll be interesting to see over the next few weeks how they help uh, foster that movement to online instruction. No, that's a good point about teachers. And I think, you know, even if it doesn't sound that substantial, I think, you know, especially for freshmen at OU, one of the kind of basic experiences that you get is taking these gen ed classes your freshman year with a lot of people exactly in a class at one time. So uh, that's most freshmen experience at least one class with, you know, 7,500, 200 people in that class. So this is going to affect most freshmen's at least freshmen schedules when it comes to genetic classes uh, right. with these classes moving online. Right. And it sounds like uh, students should be getting communication about how their schedules are changing. Um, you know, the university is working on making sure that that's clear, but yeah, people's schedules. I mean, you sign up for classes earlier in the spring for the fall. So people's schedules were already set when they made these changes and it's gotta be just a lot to work with at this point. <laughs> Yeah, not only that, but also, you know, with the, you know, looming possibility that there's a second wave of the pandemic in the fall, um, are there changes that could happen to student schedules that they can't foresee or even the university can't foresee? Right. So I think even just from what we've, what we've learned so far from OU, I think uh, freshmen and even some returning students uh, in, in any grade level can expect at least some changes at the beginning and then maybe some changes later in the semester as well. And I mean, this may not be all the classes that go online either. Uh, the university, it sounds like they're trying to be flexible on helping professors migrate their classes online or at least make their classes a little more flexible schedule-wise in case those instructors are worried about getting sick or they're compromised or they live with someone who's compromised. There's just a lot of people to take into account here and it'll be interesting to see how they accommodate all these different needs. Right. Well, and obviously, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, I know this is your beat. I don't want to speak too much for the university, but it seems like they're still, they've still got some things to iron out before right. the semester starts. They've still got some changes they know they've got to make. And, and, you know, I, you know, I can't say for sure, but I'm, but I'm assuming that, you know, you want, if you're a student or you're, if you're the parent or a guardian of a student, you want to know exactly, you know, what your student, what the student can be expecting before exactly. they get there. Exactly. Or what you're paying for. <laughs> exactly. So I th I'm sure there's pressure 
um, on OU to get these details out as much as possible because I mean we're already uh, almost to the end of May. I mean school's yeah. going to be starting in just a couple of you know couple months. Right. I mean right now I think the target date for starting school is still the same as it ever was. So August twenty fourth, which is very rapidly approaching. Right, and it's going to be here before they know it. And I think uh, you know I'm sure they feel a pressure, like I said, to to get these details out. Um, you know. They don't want to get you don't you don't want to be finalizing or or finishing releasing these details a week before school starts. Exactly, exactly. So lots to watch on the OU front over the next few weeks and months for sure. Gotcha. Well, thanks for keeping us updated on that, Emma. I know it's been kind of crazy the last couple of weeks, especially with uh, them naming a new president and all the board of regents meetings and all those good things. Yeah, you know I've been covering OU for a few years, and it truly is never boring. So. <laughs> That's a good thing, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, they really but, keep me on my toes. Well, I I joke with some of the folks at the regents meetings that they, they're they've been keeping me employed. So. <laughs> right, right. Well, is there is there anything else um, that we need to touch on from this last week in Norman before we move on? Hey Jesse, let's let's start transitioning into uh, what's coming. Although I think you have a little something that uh, happened this past week that people should be looking forward to in the future. That's right, Emma. And I, I think the the main thing um, to kind of talk about is uh, a story that our our special writer Doug Hill, who uh, does features for us from time to time, uh, he wrote a story about uh, one of the you know more well known bars in Norman on, on Main Street, the Blue Bonnet Bar. Um, they are making a significant change um, when they open up later this month. They are actually going to be eliminating all smoking, uh, smoking cigarettes or smoking cigars, anything of that kind. And it sounds like there will be a space out back for smokers, but inside the bar, it's smoke-free. Yes, uh, thank you for, for clarifying that. Yeah, I, I think uh, most people have come to expect that the, you know, you know, for the last several decades, the Blue Bond has kind of been one of those places where the regulars can come and, you know, not a free for all necessarily, but you can kind of come in and, and, and you can smoke and you can drink and do all these things. But it sounds like they've, they've used this pandemic to, in, in these closures to kind of make a, a significant change for their bar that, that might kind of have a, a different impact on, on the experience of patrons when they go in there. Absolutely. So when should we expect to see these changes? Well, this uh, is all part of the um, city's next plan and their, their, their next phase of their healthier at home order, uh, phase two. That'll be coming on May 29th. Um, as you were mentioning, um, bars can reopen um, as of May 29th, a part of this phase. And um, they can reopen with certain, um, with certain guidelines. Um, a couple of those things for bars can be that obviously they have to, they have to meet sanitation protocols and they can have um, only 50% of their standing room only areas um, filled to uh, filled at, at any time. And employees are supposed to wear masks um, at all times. And just a couple other quick things on that order. Um, community pools can open um, obviously with sanitation protocols and their capacity cannot be filled by more than 50% at any given time. Um, another aspect of this is that uh, community pools uh, can open um, as a part of this phase. Um, obviously, they've got to meet uh, basic sanitation protocols, and their capacity at any given time cannot be more than 50%. And uh, the other main thing is that uh, retail stores can now up their capacity limit to 75%. So, you know, this kind of seems like the the 
the phase that's coming up that is really going to kind of open up Norman a little bit more um, than the other phases have. It's, it's important to note that this phase was actually supposed to include the opening of entertainment venues, um, such as movie theaters, bowling alleys, things like that. But that was, but the order was amended um, last week by mayor Bria Clark to allow those places to open obviously with certain restrictions, but either way, um, bars being able to reopen in Norman is obviously a big step towards loosening some of the restrictions in the city. Right. So as this phase uh, goes into effect on the 29th, uh, it sounds like the Blue Bonnet is planning on being right there with some other bars. So maybe no smoking Blue Bonnet as, as early as Friday. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's important to note that one of the things you know, one of the reasons um, that the owners of the of the bonnet gave for this change is they kind of want to transition this transition the bar to really more of a premier music venue. In that art, in that article by Doug Hill, he mentioned that there are some prominent local artists, not only just in Norman but around Oklahoma, that have expressed interest in playing at the at the Blue Bonnets. Uh, you know, playing shows and playing concerts there, but they've actually been turned off by the amount of smoke in the bar. Mm. So I think they're kind of, they're kind of hoping that, that this, that not allowing patrons to smoke inside the bar will maybe open it up to more prominent artists coming and performing and maybe becoming transitioning less from, you know, kind of a dive bar setting to more of a premier music venue that artists want to come and perform at. That'll be really cool to see. So we'll have an eye on that too. I think it'll be interesting to see this week as we plan to move into the second phase of reopening. Um, what exactly are contact tracing abilities look like locally? I mean, uh, Mayor Bria Clark said in an interview with the OU student newspaper, the OU Daily last week, that that contact tracing is going to be huge as we plan how to reopen Norman, how to consider getting football back in town in the fall, if that's even feasible, um, what OU's reopening will look like. So I think we're looking forward to an update uh, on, on what contact tracing will look like here soon. Uh, it has been interesting, you know, I, I every day track case numbers in Cleveland County, Norman, uh, generally in the state. And on Thursday, Cleveland County did have its biggest spike in case numbers in nearly a month. So it'll be interesting to see if that was just a one-day thing or if, if trends like that continue over time. And, you know, it, there's never just one cause for something like that. I mean, it really could be just a spike in cases. It could be that uh, a bunch of tests came back at once. It could be that testing is getting better. So we don't, we don't always know with the one day spike, but trends over time, definitely something to keep an eye on. No, absolutely. And I think I just want to add something quick. You, you mentioned about, uh, you know, uh, the city kind of looking at the possibility of, of having college football in the fall. Obviously we, we've talked about that in the past and that's something that a lot of residents obviously are looking forward to. Well, one thing that might give some cautiously good news to, to residents that are, are looking at, um, you know, the possibility of OU football coming back in the fall and you were kind of talking about contract tracing and stuff is the NBA has actually, they, they've announced some plans recently that looks like they're gearing up towards a resume to the 20, the 2019, 2020 season mm. in July. But the difference is they're actually looking at kind of having all of these teams finish their season, kind of what they're calling in a bubble at Disney world, have all of the teams come, Wow. Play all of their games. Because Disney World actually has an ESPN park there. 
that, it, that has courts. They have tournaments there sometimes. Um, so they're looking at kind of finishing the season, but they're doing this to obviously limit exposure. Right. And, um, but they've also talked about the need for testing, uh, lots of testing uh, capabilities and contact tracing. So kind of what you're seeing, you know, as we move into these phases um, throughout the summer, contact tracing is going to be a big part of that. Well, one of the biggest organizations in the world in the NBA has put that as a priority, but um, with all of that, they are looking to resume in, the, in just a couple of months. That's incredible. Yes, it is. But so I think, I think all that's to say there is a path towards resuming some of these activities um, that Norman residents and Oklahoma residents have come to expect, but there might have to be some changes, you know, to the typical experience like that. College football may not be able to, go exactly as planned they might have to make some changes like that absolutely so, so either way i think all this is to say with the, with the with the city uh, moving towards this new phase at the end of the month there is a path towards things kind of resuming normalcy but it may be a while before things become totally normal as we exactly. come to expect them before the pandemic exactly and even you know keeping an eye on things that happen at ou contact tracing and testing and securing PPE are going to be enormous for that. If you're thinking about having thousands of people come back to campus, you cannot do that without proper testing protocols. So we still don't know what that's going to look like. Obviously, a lot of information is going to have to come out of the city and the university um, as these decisions are, are being made and shared publicly. Right. And the, the last thing I'd like to add is, is you're absolutely right. It, with thousands of people on campus, you're going to need so much of these capabilities with contact tracing and testing. And even with, um, you know, with the NBA, they're just dealing with a few hundred people, but right. they don't feel comfortable restarting the season until they have tens of thousands of testing kits and a, 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 you know, full ability to do contact tracing. So I think that kind of gives you even an insight to what OU has ahead of it, you yeah. know, before, before it's safe to reopen. Now, obviously the responsibilities of a, of a public university and a private professional sports organ, you know, organization, they're different, but I think it kind of gives you an insight. Yeah. It's just a few hundred people, but they're not comfortable until they have tens of thousands of testing kits. Right. Right. Either way, it's going to be a tremendous undertaking. And I know OU is not alone in just trying to figure out what exactly this is going to look like because we've heard it before and we'll say it again. All of this is unprecedented. It is. And it's, there's no blueprint on how to handle this. And a lot of universities and a lot of organizations and businesses across the country are having to adapt their plans to something they've never prepared for. And I guarantee you, even when this is all over, almost everything is going to have a plan in place for if something like this ever happens again. I hope so. I hope so. So in the meantime, we'll be keeping an eye on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we appreciate um, everybody out there tuning in um, to our podcast each week. And obviously I'm um, continuing to support the Norman transcript. Um, we are doing our best to, to keep you guys up to date with everything that's going on um, with the city and with businesses and, and everything like that. And we know this isn't going to be over tomorrow. So we know we still have work ahead of us, but uh, we appreciate all the support you guys give.
Yeah, and as always, you can find us on, on Facebook at The Norman Transcript, Twitter at Norman News, and you can follow our website at normantranscript.com for updates, you know, 24-7 online updates. We have made all of our COVID-19 content free, so whether you're a subscriber or not, you can, you can see it beyond the paywall. So we would, uh, we really appreciate your support, your readership, your listenership, and we hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks, Emma, for for uh, for talking for talking with me today and giving us all the information. And I hope you have a good Memorial Day weekend. You too, Jesse. All right. Until next time, I'll see you later. <laughs>